that we want to continue to speak about the theme we've been speaking about for the past few weeks, and it's holiness. God is a holy God, and he desires holiness of us. And we need to constantly remember the, 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 the passage that is spoken of by the writer of Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. It says, make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Why? Because without holiness, no one will see the Lord. So it's a pretty serious request, pretty serious mandate that the Lord gives us to be holy. But I want to stress, and I can't stress enough, that a holy life is a happy life. A holy life is a life of freedom from all forms of guilt and shame. It's a life that gives us peace and assurance and purpose, fulfillment, without any loss of excitement or fun. A holy life is not a boring life. Let me just tell you that. A holy life is a life that we can look forward to and we can enjoy today as well as enjoy for all eternity. And I want to just speak on holiness and I want to continue to study it until we can believe that. (laughs) Because holiness has a bad reputation in the church. Holiness has a bad reputation in the world. Because holy is equated to legalism and people that are trying to follow a bunch of rules and regulations. And holiness is a, is a or holy is a four-letter word, <laughs> which it is. But it's a good four-letter word if we truly understand what it is. And that's why it's so important that we continue to talk about it. So today I want to talk about the benefits of holiness. And I want to talk about the ramifications of what it means And I want to be able to start understanding what it means to be holy in the sight of our Father. Because holiness truly is all about relationship. And we're going to talk about relationship today. What is God's perspective of holiness? Well, obviously, it's pretty important to him. Because otherwise, he wouldn't say some of the things he said about it. And so if it is important to him, we need to find his heart. We need to find out what he desires. God desires many things from his creation. God desires many things. Let me ask you some things. What are some things that God desires from us? What are some things that God requires of us? You have any ideas? Shout them out. Faithfulness. Honesty. Integrity. Cool. Yeah. Obedience. What about money? What about time? What about attention? What about our services? What about our affection? John? To honor him. Obedience. God requires many things from us, doesn't he? But I'm not listing one thing yet because that's the one thing that we need to talk about that he wants the most, and we haven't got to that point yet. We know that God is omniscient, meaning what? What is God? Omniscience, God's all-knowing. He knows the past, present, and the future. We know he's, he's omnipresent. He can, be all, he can be in all places at one time. There's no place that God isn't or that he can't see, right? He's omnipotent, meaning that God is all-powerful. There's nothing that God cannot do, and there's nothing that God doesn't control, 
God can control the outcome of everything he created. And I want to just show you that this morning. There's nothing outside of his realm of control or concern. He controls the weather. He controls everything. If you, if you um, turn to Job chapter 37, I want to read a few verses here. And just listen, or you can read along with me, but just listen to what, how the, the, the writer here declares God's power and his authority over nature. Listen carefully to the thunder of God's voice as it rolls from his mouth. It rolls across the heavens, and his lightning flashes in every direction. Then comes the roaring of the thunder, the tremendous voice of his majesty. He does not restrain it when he speaks. God's voice is glorious in the thunder. Jackie, there's no reason to be afraid of thunder or fireworks. There's no reason. It's God's voice is glorious in the thunder. We can't even imagine the greatness of his power. He directs the snow to fall on the earth, and he tells the rain to pour down. Then everyone stops working. School days. (laughs) We have snow days. God just pours down the snow, doesn't he? Yeah, we've experienced that in the last week or so. Then everyone stops working so they can watch his power. The wild animals take cover and stay inside their dens. The stormy winds come from its chamber, and the driving winds bring the cold. God's breath sends the ice, freezing wide expanses of water. He loads the clouds with moisture, and they flash with his lightning. The clouds churn about at his direction. They do whatever he commands throughout the whole earth. It's a pretty powerful God, isn't it? God also controls the kings and the kingdoms, and he provides everything they need to be in power. God controls the world events. Even though we think they're wildly spinning out of control, God is in control. Daniel chapter 2, verse 20 through 23. Praise the name of God forever and ever, for he has all wisdom and power. He controls the course of world events. He removes kings and sets up other kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the scholars. He reveals deep and mysterious things and knows what lies hidden in darkness, though he is surrounded by light. I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors, for you have given me wisdom and strength. You have told me what we asked of you and revealed to us what the king demanded. So God is in control of the nations. He's control of the politics of the world. He controls everything. It's his outcome. God sets up people and he takes people down according to his plans. God owns everything and controls the wealth and the resources of this world as well. Psalm chapter 50, verse 10 through 12 For all the animals of the forest are mine, and I own the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird on the mountains, and all the animals of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for all the world is mine and everything in it. God has everything that we can imagine in his control, and he needs nothing from us to exist. Do you know that God doesn't need you? God doesn't need me to exist. He existed before we were created. So he doesn't need us, yet he created us. So then if God is so powerful and can get everything on his own, then what does he really require of us? Truly, what is our purpose? Have you ever thought about it? What does God really want from us? There's one thing that God has voluntarily given up control of, 
And therefore, this is the one thing that he desires more than anything else. He desires a personal relationship with us that comes only through our choice to have one with him. God desires a personal relationship with us that comes only through our choice to have one with him. And I've said it so many times, and I'll say it more and more, that when God gave mankind the free will to choose his own way, God gave up controlling the outcome of your destiny. When he gave you the free choice to choose what you do, he gave up the control of your life. Everything else he controls. We just read it. He controls the weather. He controls the finances. He controls the world politics. He controls everything. But he doesn't control me or you. He does not control your choices. He gave that up. Mankind is the only thing created in God's image. And that places mankind at a higher level than anything else in creation. We are the only thing that the Bible says he created in his own image. God created us. He created man to be able to respond and to communicate with him. God created us that you and I would have the same kind of relationship that Adam and Eve had with God. Adam and Eve had a perfect relationship with God through their holiness that they could spend time with God face to face, unhindered by any distraction or any disturbance. And when man sinned and broke that relationship, when that was broken through sin, it broke God's heart because he created mankind to have relationship with him. It broke his heart so badly that he had a plan already in store called Jesus, that Jesus would come and take on the form of mankind and pay our penalty for our sin so he could then one more time build the relationship back with us. That's a pretty amazing thing, isn't it? God loves us so much, and he desires a relationship with us so much that Jesus had to die in our place. Jesus came to save mankind. That's what he came for. But before he could be the perfect sacrifice, Jesus had to live a holy and perfect life of obedience, which brought him into that place that he could be the perfect sacrifice. And I think we don't fully understand the significance of that fact. Hebrews chapter 5, the writer of Hebrews says this in verse 7. Yet, while Christ was here on earth, he pleaded with God, praying with tears and agony of soul to the only one who would save him from premature death. And God heard his prayers because of his strong desire to obey God at all times. And even though Jesus was God's son, he had to learn from experience what it was like to obey when obeying meant suffering. It was after he had proved himself perfect in this experience that Jesus became the giver of eternal salvation to all those who obey him. I don't think we grasp the fact that when Jesus came to earth as that little baby, that he gave up his godhood And became a man in every aspect of what it means to be a man. And at the same time, he still was God. (laughs) 
<laughs> we, don't, we can't grasp that. But let's talk about the manhood side for a few minutes because Jesus had every temptation that you and I have. And yet, by his choice, he was sinless. Not because he couldn't sin, but because he chose not to sin. He had every right to sin, like you and I have every right to sin. But if he would have sinned, it would have taken him out of that place of being that perfect sacrifice. That's a pretty amazing fact that Jesus was, he had to learn obedience. He had to learn that and he had to put himself at that place of obedience, even if it meant suffering for him, just like you and I do. And so he not only became our our, our perfect sacrifice, but he also becomes our perfect example of how we need to learn to live. Because Jesus came to save the world. He didn't come to condemn it. John three sixteen and 17. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him, him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. Jesus came with a purpose. And his purpose was to be our Savior, to be our Lord, to be our friend, and to have relationship with us. Man, I, I, I just got to think that if we could truly comprehend the significance of God's love, that God would give us a second chance of choosing him over sin and death, I think that would really, really change us. Maybe sometimes we grasp it. I, I'm sure that there are times that you've really been overwhelmed with the love of God. And that is so awesome when we can appreciate really what it means to be the child that God has called us to be. Jesus left heaven and he came down into his creation, which is messed up. And he lived a life of perfect obedience and holiness in order to give us a way back into relationship with his Father. That's really awesome. I just want to challenge you to think about that this week. I want to challenge you sometime, go in your little corner of solitude and just try to grasp it, what it was like for Jesus to leave heaven, what it was like for him to live that life. He gave us the choice to choose him back when he did what he did. But it's going to be on his terms, not on our terms. You see, the, the enemy has done a really good job of distorting the viewpoint that God has for us. God's love is something that is amazing. And God loves us all. But somehow we have distorted the viewpoint that God's love is going to override our free will choices. And he's not going to choose at the end to give us what we deserve. Because God's love is so grand and it's so big that how could a loving God send a person to hell? That God's love somehow will prevent me from going to hell regardless of my choices here on earth. Regardless of my choice to repent or not repent. That God's love is going to, at the end, win. There's been books written about it that would say there are faults. God's love is amazing, but it doesn't override my choices 
It doesn't override my repentance. It doesn't override my willingness to either obey or not obey. I have to take accountability for that. Amen? And thank the Lord the Holy Spirit is drawing us. The Holy Spirit wants to bring us in a relationship with God. So he's not our enemy. He's trying to call us to him through the power of his Holy Spirit if we'll just allow him to. But the enemy has done a great job of deceiving people to adopt false teachings and religions that overemphasize the love of God and, and, and undervalue the importance of my choice to acknowledge my sin and the need for my repentance. The enemy's pretty slick. He's pretty shrewd. So what does it mean then for me to have to make the claim that God desires a personal relationship with me and you more than anything else? What does that mean truly? We need to think of sin that is the breaker of relationship. We need to get this into our mind that sin is a spiritual cancer. It is a destructive plague. It is a lethal virus. There is nothing good in sin. Jesus came to save us from the power of sin. Michael Brown, in his book, Go and Sin No More, says this. He says, sin is the problem, the pollutant, the poison. Sin is the whole reason that the human race experiences such horrific suffering on a daily basis. Sin is the reason that millions of people will go to a Christless hell. And all sin is against God. Sin is the relationship breaker. So why would genuine Christians want to embrace a message that supposedly gave them liberty to sin? Why would true lovers of the Lord look for a theology that justifies disobedience of their deliverer and a mocking of their master? Why would we do anything that would dare break that relationship that God so desires with us? So today I want to stress the immediate and the eternal benefits that we have as being a genuine, personal relationship with God, the one that he wants to have with us. That's what this is all about today. I want to talk about holiness in regards to relationship because God desires a relationship with us. That's amazing. No matter what you look like, no matter what you have, he created you that way and he loves you that way and he desires a relationship with you. So when we look at relationships, what do they, what do they look like? When I have a personal, genuine relationship with someone, in many cases, I become one with them, right? Think about it. I sense what that person's feeling and needing without really even needing to be told. I truly care about them and their feelings. I desire to please them and want to do things that make them happy. I do my best not to hurt them. I protect them from others and from ways that they might get hurt physically and emotionally. I celebrate victories with them, and I mourn losses with them. I truly want what's best for them, even if it means a sacrifice on my part. I believe in them even when others won't or don't. You see, when I have a real relationship with a person, true, genuine relationship with a person, I really care about them. And I really will go to the nth degree to help them and protect them and go the extra mile with them joyfully and willingly because I love them. Is that, is, do you, does this make sense? Do you agree with me, do you agree with me so far? Am, am I saying anything that's not true? 
So let me ask you then, is that the way you feel towards your relationship with Jesus? Do you have that same level of passion towards the Lord as you have towards people in this world that you love? Are you at the point in your spiritual life that you have developed these same feelings towards Christ? See, do you believe that it's necessary to have this relationship? Have you come to the point where you've understood the fact that it's necessary for me to have that kind of relationship with Jesus as I have with my spouse or other people in this world that I truly love? And can I encourage you today to realize that this is exactly the relationship that God desires us to have with him? God wants us to be so in love with him that we do care about his feelings, that we do care about how he looks at our life. Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 through 33, this is a quote from Jesus. Jesus replied, you must, M-U-S-T, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, let me take a little break here, and let's talk about what love is. You see, if, he's, if Jesus is commanding us to love him, that's not a feeling. Because I can't command my feelings. Can you command your feelings? I can command my choices. I can command my actions. I can command my priorities, but I can't command my feelings. My feelings are beyond me. Sometimes I feel love towards someone, and sometimes I don't feel love towards someone. Does that mean that I don't love them if I don't feel love towards them? No. You see, when we get married, love changes. Starts off in that gushy-mushy feeling of love, which is great, and, and hopefully it would continue through your whole marriage. That's the plan. But there comes some times when love changes into a form of commitment, a form of choice to say, I choose to love you, and I'm going to love you regardless of how I feel at times. Amen? Anybody know that? <laughs> Come on, married people. Help me out here. Yes, we all go through that. I love my wife, but there are sometimes I love her more. And same thing with her about me. I get that. But she loves me, and I love her. And I'm going to choose to continue to love her until the day that I die. Amen. So can, I, can you see then how, how God's viewpoint of loving him is the same way? That I love him whether I feel in the moment that I love him. I choose to love him. It's my choice. And that choice then honors him. And that choice then gives the relationship meaning that he wants to have with us. I think if we think it's okay to have feelings of relationship with people, but not with God, I think we're being deceived. If you think it's okay that you have feelings toward people but don't have that same level of commitment or feelings towards God and thinking you're all right with the Lord, I think there's a little bit of confusion in your, in your theology a little bit. If God commands it to happen 
we, first of all, two things will happen. Number one, it's something that we can do because he would never command something of us that we can't do. And number two is he expects us to do it. <laughs> he expects us to do it. Luke chapter 14, verse 26 and 27. If you want to be my disciple, you must, by comparison, hate everyone else, your father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you're, you cannot be my disciple. This, this is Jesus speaking here. Jesus says, if you want to be my disciple, you must, by comparison, that's the key word, by comparison, you must hate everyone else. In other words, I, I, he's not literally saying you hate people because we're, the second greatest command is we love people. But by comparison, how we are to love God, that is by comparison, we love God so much it's, we hate people. Do you see that? It is a big difference here. It's a big deal for us to love God. But somehow the enemies guide us out of that, that we don't have to love God like that. We can just give him a, a bypass. We can just give him a, a, hey, God, how are you type of a thing, a wave in, a, in our busy day, and move on. And I, and I want to just encourage us today that we need to change our theology, if that's what our theology is. And I will tell you, like I said at the very beginning, a holy life is a happy life. This is not a burdensome task to love the Lord. I just want you to know that. I know in our minds right now, maybe some are thinking, oh, I can't love God that way. It's just too hard. Well, who are you listening to? Can I tell you that that's not the Holy Spirit whispering in your mind right now? If that thought is coming through your mind, recognize it's not from the Holy Spirit. It's coming from the, an evil spirit. The Holy Spirit says, yes, I will help you. I will help you love the Lord your God. I will give you the ability to do it, and I will be there with you, and I will encourage you, and I will help you if you will just trust me to do it. So the simple fact about life is that it's all about relationship. You see, if I have the relationship with God that he desires, and if I can joyfully and willingly be that person he desires me to be, it will make it so much easier to love people. It will make it so much easier for me to do the things that God wants me to do. When I can commit to my life, commit to myself that I'm all in, I'm not going to be a fence rider. Maybe I've rode the fence a little bit for a while in my life. But, you know, that's hard. Being a fence walker is a hard life because when you fall, it hurts. But when you can say, I'm getting as far away from that fence of compromise as I can, and get, if I'm going to go wholly in and be wholly, holy, life becomes different. Life becomes joyful. It becomes easier to live that way. And that's the point I want to stress, that it's only as I have that personal relationship with Christ that he then sets me free to love not only him, not only does he assist my feelings of love towards him, but he also gives me a love for people. And that I want to protect that feeling, and I want to protect that love. We talked about that list of things that God, that God desires of us a little bit earlier. God does desire many things of us. Well, I will tell you one, I will tell you right now, if he has my relationship, he has the list. 
If my relationship is in proper order with him, the list is easy. It is not a burden to be a tither. It is not a burden burden to be a server. It is not a burden to help other people. It is not a burden to give him my time and my attention when my relationship with him is right. Does that make sense? It's only when my relationship is a little bit skewed do things become difficult. So when I have that relationship, I don't want to do anything that would hurt it or set it back. I don't want to do anything that would um, be a hindrance to my relationship with the Lord. I want to protect it. I want to nurture it. I, I want to cherish it. I want to put it on a pedestal, and I want to just I, I want to honor that relationship above above any other relationship on this world or in this world over any other thing. When I can get that in my life, when I can actually be that kind of a person, that I want to protect my relationship with the Lord. Life is good. Even though times can be difficult, even though I might be having some issues with my job or or issues with my health or issues with my finances. See, when I get my mind off of that and put my mind on relationship, then all these other things take second class, take second place. They don't aren't as big to me as they once were when I have my relationship with the Lord right. Does that make sense? I don't want to hurt God. I don't want to grieve him. That's a good marker for you. That's a good marker for us to, to, to examine. If, if you're not concerned with that fact, if, if you can accept the fact that you're going to grieve God and it doesn't hurt you, can I suggest that maybe you're not in a relationship with God that you should be in? Can I, make that, can I make that reference that if it doesn't bother you to sin, if it doesn't bother you to watch that TV show, if it doesn't bother you to uh, read that book, if it doesn't bother you to have that drink or that overeating or whatever that sin is, if it doesn't bother you, can I suggest that maybe that relationship is not in proper order? You see, because if, if you have a relationship with your spouse and you do things that are knowingly going to hurt them, it would bother you to do that, right? But if you, if you can get away, if you can justify in your own life, though I can do that, I, I, can, I can hurt God and I can justify this compromise, that's a marker that we need to pay attention to. Because when we're truly not loving the Lord with all of our heart, mind, and soul, we're living in a life of compromise. But the reality is one can't hurt what one doesn't have. (laughs) If I don't have a relationship with the Lord, I can't hurt it. 1 John 2, verse 3 and 6 answers the question, well, how do I know? How do I know if I have that relationship with God that is hurtable? How do I know? Well, let's go to God's Word. 1 John chapter 2, verse 3. And we can be sure that we know Him if we obey His commandments. If someone claims, I know God, but doesn't obey God's commandments, that person is a liar and is not living in the truth. 
But those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. That is how we know we are living in him. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. Pretty heavy order, isn't it? How did Jesus live his life? He lived it holy and perfect so that he could be the sacrifice for our sins. And that's the, that's the life we're to live. It's not hard, guys. I mean, it's, it's yeah, I shouldn't say it's not hard. We're not going to be perfect in our actions, but we can be perfect in our desires. That's the key, that we're perfect in our desire, that we don't want to hurt our relationship with the Lord. Think about that. If you profess Christ as your Savior, yet you're not concerned with obeying him, then according to the passage we just read, you really don't have a relationship with him that is going to save your life. You may have a relationship with him that is a hypocritical relationship. You may have a relationship with him that you can justify some things with, but you don't have the relationship that's going to be life-saving in the end. But it's only by our willful and joyful obedience to God's desires and his word are we proving to him and to others that are watching us that we truly do love him and have that relationship. And this is where Satan gets involved with us, trying to get us to compromise. This is where Satan comes in and tries to break that level of commitment of our obedience because he knows that, that disobedience breaks relationship. How do we know if he knows that? Because that's what he did with Adam and Eve. He got them to disobey. And with that, then, they broke relationship. So if that's the case with Adam and Eve, that's the case with us today. Genesis chapter 3. I know we all know this, but let's read it again. Chapter 3, verse 1. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, Did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. God said you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful, and its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it too. At that moment, verse 7, at that moment their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. Do you see how subtle and shrewd temptation is? It just took a question. Satan just said, did God really say? And he asked us the same question in our life. Does the Bible really say you can't do this? Does the Bible really say, does God really say, all it takes for us to allow that little bit of compromise into our life is just listening to that little temptation and then acting on it. Now, let me tell you, you're going to be tempted, but that doesn't mean you're sinning, okay? Jesus was tempted in all manner, but he didn't sin. So the temptation is not to sin. So let me just make that clear to you. The temptation to do what you do 
is not to sin. It's when we act it out and we then act on it. That's the sin. And it doesn't have to take the big sin. The Satan, I will tell you, Satan is not going to come to you probably and ask you to be a mass murderer. But he's going to come to you probably in the small little ways of how do you cheat on your employer? Or how do you do that little thing that really seems really, really small and really isn't that serious? And that's all it takes for him to get a foothold in your life, right? That's all it takes to feel a little guilt, a little shame. How long did it take for the relationship between Adam and Eve to be impacted when they sinned? How long did it take? Go back to the Word. At the moment their eyes were opened, they suddenly felt shame. So they didn't have to eat it, digest it, go walk around for a few miles and a block around the, the garden and all of a sudden think, oh, no. They knew immediately that they had sinned. And here's, the th- here's what we have to understand, guys. When we do that, if and when we do that, and you feel that immediate guilt and shame, what should we do? Huh? Yeah. Stop, drop, and roll. <laughs> don't go any further. Stop right there. You feel the pain. Don't start justifying it. Don't say, well, I did it because, and uh, I deserve to have this little little bit in my life because I am struggling, and so I need to overeat. Uh, it's my comfort food, or I need to... Uh, tell this lie to justify myself with somebody else. No, no, no. Stop, drop, and roll, and just stop and repent. Say, oh, God, mm, I feel it. I feel that shame immediately. I'm sorry. I'm repenting right now. And if you need to, go back to that person and say you're sorry. Go back to that whatever that deed was and try to make it right. That's part of repentance. Go back and try to make it right, what you can, and what you can't, just, God, forgive me, and I won't do it again. Help me, Holy Spirit. Give me the strength. Give me the holiness in my life that I don't want to go back to that same place of sin. That's our answer. That's the answer that gives us salvation and freedom. 1 John chapter 5, verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has become a child of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his children too. We know we love God's children if we love God and obey his commandments. Loving God means keeping his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Thank the Lord they're not burdensome. Thank the Lord it's not hard to live a life of holiness. It's a life of commitment. It's a life of intentionality. But when I have a proper relationship with the Lord, He helps me. The Holy Spirit helps me. And He actually changes some things in me that I actually begin to love people the way God loves people. And this is why we need to cherish time with church, fellowship time. We need to to encourage each other and celebrate when we're with godly people. This is how we're proving our relationship with the Lord that we begin to love people the way he loves people and to be concerned with people the way God is concerned with people. And I know that's probably a real struggle for America today because we are, we are brought up in a very selfish, me-oriented, consumer-centric culture, aren't we? We're consumers. 
and we want to consume as much as we can. We're not really too interested in producing for people, but we'll consume. And that's the challenge we have this morning, that we can allow the Holy Spirit to just change us from within. And He will do that. He'll do that if we allow Him to, if we invite Him into our our life to do that. The enemy is promoting all kinds of stuff that would be a hindrance to a relationship. But God is saying, I really want that, guys. I, I want more than anything else. In fact, I, I want it so much I gave you my son. I gave up the thing that meant the most to me to have relationship with you. Is it so hard for us to give it back to him? I just want to encourage us that we need to make sure that we're living our hearts and our lives, that we can keep our priorities in line by loving God first and foremost. And then as we do, he will bring it so much easier in our life to live holy. Jackie, could you come, please? So what's the conclusion of this? Well, number one, God desires more than anything in all creation to have a personal relationship with you and I. Dwell on that. Just dwell on the fact that God desires that. We develop this relationship first by acknowledging Jesus as our Savior and then making him our Lord, where we truly say, Father, I'm all in. I surrender. We then live a life of obedience that honors God because of our love for him. Because I love him, I obey him. I don't obey him to gain his love. I love him because he loved me first. And I obey him. We are so in love with him that we do everything we can to protect our relationship and don't give the enemy a foothold. Don't give the enemy an opportunity to come and be a hindrance to that relationship because he wants to do everything he can to break it. He wants to destroy the relationship. Learn to grieve over your sin and see how it hurts our Heavenly Father. So that when you grieve over your sin, think about that the next time you have that same temptation. Go back and remember the shame and the guilt you felt. And say, I don't want that filth. I don't want to feel that anymore. Well then, use that as a way to get over it, to move on. Don't give in to that same level of temptation. Offer ourselves as a living sacrifice that that brings true personal relationship and true purpose for living that brings joy and health and peace. Yeah, there's nothing better. There's nothing better than to live in relationship with the Lord. Man, you want peace? Be in proper relationship with God. You want assurance of your future? Be in perfect relationship with God. My charge to us this morning, and this is really important that we have a charge here. I don't know about you, but this last week, was anybody watching TV about 10 o'clock one night and all of a sudden the emergency broadcast came on and it's read in in some computer-generated eerie voice. Wasn't that eerie? started reading off all the counties that this emergency was there, but it didn't tell you what the emergency was. And I'm thinking, what's the emergency? 
And it really bothered me and it scared me. I think, what's going on? I look out the window, I'm thinking, what, what's going on out there, you know? And it did it two or three times. But it never gave the charge as to what to do. It didn't say go to your basement. It didn't say anything. It just said there's an emergency. Well, I'm telling you guys, I'm giving you the charge because the emergency is if you don't love Jesus, this is the charge. (laughs) I don't want to be guilty of giving an emergency without a charge. My charge to us this morning is to love God back. Choose to love him back. It's your choice. That's the only thing he can't control is your choice. So by choosing him back, you're proving to him that you are honoring him and you're loving him. And with that, you have relationship with him that nothing can break. There is nothing. The devil has no authority over your relationship when you choose to love God with all your heart, mind, and soul. And that brings peace. It brings joy. It brings purpose. It brings assurance that this life is going to be okay. That you're going to get through here. And when you get through here, God's got something greater in store. And that should bring excitement and levels of just overwhelming peace. Let's pray. Father, we just come to you this morning. And Lord, we hear your word. And your word is very clear that we are to honor you and we are to choose you back. So, God, I know that for some it's difficult to accept how we do that. And how do we learn how to do that? Well, Lord, would you just make it easy to us this morning by sending your Holy Spirit? Would you just send your Holy Spirit here to give us conviction and to give us encouragement and to give us help in living out the desired relationship that you have for us and with us? Forgive us, Jesus. Forgive us for the times that we failed you. Forgive forgive us for the times that we have walked away and we've grieved you and it didn't bother us. Lord, I pray the next time that that temptation comes, I pray that we would remember the grief. We would remember the pain that it causes you and it would help us to turn it off. Not take it, whatever it is. Not partake in it, whatever it is. Not not do the action, whatever that is, that we would just learn to put it away and to choose you and to be holy as you're holy. This morning, I just want to give you the charge. I want to just offer to you that this altar is open. If you need help, if you want somebody to pray with you, I will and others will be happy to pray with you this morning to help you in that area. As we sing the song that Jackie's playing, I just want to open up the altars. And this morning, if you want to just come up and pray, it doesn't take a long time. Just come up and pray and say, Father, I need help here. I need help in this area. Would you help me? I will promise you the Holy Spirit will be waiting for you here to help. In Jesus' name.
Father, we just thank you for your love for us. We thank you, Lord, that you are just calling out to us. And Father, as we go this, this morning to our homes and to the activities that we have planned, God, I pray that we would allow you to interrupt us. God, I just pray that you just give us your heart. That we would feel your pain. We would feel your joy. We'd feel your peace. We would feel your love. We would feel your desire. And we would have that relationship with you that only we can have together when we choose. And you're calling out to us. You're faithful to us. We just give you our hearts now today. We ask you to go with us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Be blessed today. It's overwhelming.